before we get started today, we're going to do what we do every week, um, just get a, a little bit of a deep breath. So if, you're, if you haven't done this with us or it's been a while, um, you might have forgot. This is really maybe the most important thing you do um, in the week, if, especially if you're like a lot of us who just can't seem to get perspective on the week. You know, you, you get to Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and all of a sudden you can't remember if it's Wednesday or Friday, and, and, um, and you just sort of lose perspective. Um, what, what really God wants from us um, from the very beginning of time is a, is a walk. It's just like, hey, I just want to be where you are. And what happens during the week is we, we consider religion instead of consider God. And it, if we're not careful in our culture, we just we cover up God with religion, we cover up all the things that God wants to say and do in our lives with things that aren't important to him. Um, so what we do every week before, in this time, every Sunday, is we take what we just call a deep breath. And it's just a one-minute opportunity to quiet our lives. So, and we say it this way all the time. Um, in fact, I've been saying it on Facebook to some of you. You need a deep breath. And by that we mean this moment where God can speak over the stuff in our lives. And the Bible says God speaks in a still, small voice, in a little voice. He could wet your pants with a loud voice if he wanted to. But that's not what he chooses. He could speak over everything, but he wants you to choose to quiet your things in your life so that you can hear him. So that's what we're going to do. Just 45 seconds, be quiet. If you're not sure you, you're kind of kicking the tires on the God thing, you're not sure what you believe, that's okay. A little 45-second moment is good for you anyway. Um, just to get some perspective today. If you do believe in God and you're still trying to figure out what he wants from you, it's a good opportunity for you just to say, hey, God, would you keep the distractions out So just for this time so that I can hear from you um, and I can, I can get a good word. And then I, I need it too, so that's why part of why I'm doing it. Um, we'll do that for about 30, 45 seconds of quiet, and then I'll pray for us and we'll jump in. God, in the quiet of this room, we put our lives on pause. All the good, all the bad, all the frustration, all the doubt, all the faith, all of it. We suspend it all right now. All the priorities, all the things that we put at the top of our list, our time and our money and our energy, we put all of that on pause just for a moment. In the midst of that, would you speak clearly? I've never heard you say words. I'd take that if you want to today. But God, would you do what you normally do when we quiet our lives? Would you, would you make it unmistakable, the right move, the right decision, the next right thing for us? Would you make it clear? God, would this thing be real to us? There's so many of us in this place who have been doing this long enough that it, it started feeling like Disney. It started feeling like something you do on Sundays that's pretend. Anything that's in this room that feels like that, would you just kill it in its tracks? If it's something I say, if it's something we feel, would you make it hard to be around that today? And would you, 
Would you make it clear to us what is real, what is true, and what brings us the kind of life and the kind of peace that you've intended from the very beginning? And we'll listen and we'll act. We won't just listen. We won't just hope something happens. We'll act. We'll move. We'll change. We'll do something different because of what you say to us today in your son's name. Amen. So we're in this series called Knowing God. Um, and I realize that the first couple of weeks as we gone, have gone through the series that knowing God means something different to everybody. It means something different to everybody until you get down to the, to the nitty-gritty of life. But when you ask somebody, hey, do you know God? What they often say is, yes, I believe in God. That means I believe that there is some, some alternate thing, something that stands outside of us that built all, everything and that maybe controls it in some way. You ask somebody if they, they know God, what they often mean is that they were baptized or they went through some sort of a ritual at some point in their life or maybe their parents baptized them or had them committed or had them in some way um, confirmed or something. And, and, or you say, hey, do you know God? And, and some people will say, I used to. I had a moment at a church camp, or I had an issue in my life that finally led me to know God. Or, but, but the truth is, knowing God is not just a, it's, it's not, it's not a step in our life, it's not a part of religion. It is what God intends from you. Did you know that what's most important to God is not how you behave? That what's most important to God is not how you behave. It's who you know, it's how you know Him. It's how you develop a relationship in Him. In fact, Jesus was standing around a whole bunch of people once. 2,000 years ago, this man standing on earth, some people believed he was part God, some people believed he didn't. A bunch of people followed him no matter what they believed about him because you just couldn't help it. You had to be around him. And he, he stood on a hill and a bunch of religious people who, who, by the way, he got mad mostly at the religious people because he got so tired of religion. And I think if he was here today, he'd be really tired of religion. That, that thing that is just to show up and do it because it feels like that's what we've always done. Um, Jesus hated that. It's what he got most mad about. And when, when the religious leaders got him around a, a circle, what they wanted Jesus to say was, Yay, raw, those of you who know about God. Those of you who memorized all the rules, in fact, most of those rules weren't even God's rules. They were people's rules that they made up, which made Jesus even matter. And yay to you. He, they, he wanted, all these religious leaders wanted Jesus to stand on a hill and say, good job, those of you who know about God. You're going to heaven. And by the way, those of you who don't know about God, uh, you're going to hell. But Jesus, the reason he was killed, whether, whatever you believe about Jesus, this is history. What, the reason Jesus was killed is because he stood on a hill and he said, blessed are you. That means honored by God. That means loved by God. Blessed are you who are poor in spirit. <laughs> when the religious leaders went, I'm sorry, Jesus, I thought you said, blessed are those of you who don't have a good spiritual life. Jesus said, yeah, God is on your side. Those of you who can't quite figure this thing out about God, who just keep kicking the tires and keep just trying to make it real, but keep trying to figure out what this is. Jesus said, God is on your side. And he stood up and he said, and by the way, religious leaders, one day, at one point in history, God will separate people. And, and this, is a, this is a huge debate, and, and this is a whole other sermon. I think this is a point Jesus is making more than a, a prediction about history. I don't know that it's actually going to go down this way, and it doesn't matter if it does or it doesn't. But what Jesus wants to say to the religious leaders is, when God separates people, 
He is going to separate, he calls it the sheep from the goats. And then the, what, what normally happens with Jesus is he's walking through a field with a whole bunch of people and he sees a shepherd or he sees a, a farmer and he says, see the sheep and how the farmer separates the sheep from the goats. God is one day going to separate. You know how God separates people and the way he thinks about them? Religious leaders go, I know, I know, I know. He wants me to know all the rules and to obey all the rules. That's what God wants for me. And Jesus goes, no, 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 no. In fact, at some point when he separates, he'll say, away from you, away from me. Those of you who just obeyed the rules. Those of you who made this about religion. Those of you who who made this segregated thing where you lived one way and you talked another way. where, Where you separated the way you lived from me. He said, I will say to you, I never... Anybody remember this? I never knew you. See, what's most important to God in your life right now, whatever you're going through, no matter how far you feel from God, no matter what you're doubting, no matter how you're feeling, what's most important to the creator of the universe is knowing you. Now, what do you do with somebody you know? You walk with them. You talk with them. You do life with them. Now, somebody you don't know very well, somebody you don't know intimately, I have friends like this. I call them friends, and they're, they're like Facebook acquaintances in my life, you know, where you don't really know them that well, and when they come around you, you're like, hey, I'm so glad to see you, and in your brain, you're going, how long do I have to spend with you? Because <laughs> we, don't, we don't have anything in common. We don't know each other. I can't really remember your wife's name, and I've got to pretend that I do, and it's going to be awkward. I don't remember how many kids you have, and I'm afraid I'm going to call one of them by your dog's name because I actually liked your dog when I saw you better than I did all the rest of you people. And I have to pretend. We do this, don't we? And we, we go through our life, and we spend time with people, and, we, and, and then we go, oh, do you know Gary? Yeah, I know Gary. No, you don't. You don't care about Gary. You know about Gary. You know a little bit about Gary, and when you see him, you fake it. But God says, don't treat me like Gary. Don't, don't even for a minute think that knowing me is knowing something about me. Being able to hold up a John 3.16 sign at a, at a sports event is not knowing God. Being able to recite pieces of the Bible is not knowing God. Coming here and singing a song that you don't understand the words to, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel. What's the last time somebody called Israel Israel? We don't do it. So what happens is if we're not careful, we sing these things and we say these things and they mean nothing to God. And what they actually do is push us farther from knowing God. We may know about him. We may be able to sing about him. We may be able to create religious things around him. But knowing God is the point of your life. And if you've missed it, then you've missed out on some of the most important things that God wants for you in your life. A peace that passes all understanding. You've heard it if you've been around church long enough. You've heard that phrase, a peace that passes all understanding. If you're like me, it probably makes you mad to hear it. Because at times you just go, what does that mean? And why do people talk about it? And are they really feeling it? Or are they faking it? Because I, never, I don't know what that means. And the truth is, there is a different kind of peace available when, no, when you know God. There is a different kind of joy in your life that isn't dependent on what kind of truck you drive and how much money's in your bank account. There is a different kind of joy in your life that you can you can tap into because you understand the creator of the universe. You know him, not know about him. In fact, Jesus got so tired of people knowing about God that at one point he says to those same religious leaders, they, they, wanna, they always want to impress Jesus. Hey, I know this Bible scripture, and I know this, and I know this, and I know this, and I know this. And Jesus says, so you believe in God? And they all go, yes, we believe in God. And Jesus goes, who cares? The demons believe in God. So you and the demons are on the same level. You and Satan are right there together. They believe that God exists. Is that, is that what you're going for in your life? You just want to believe in God? No, no. 
God wants to know you. He wants a relationship with you. And I can always tell in my life and in the lives of people that I'm around when it comes to religion and God. When I'll say, hey, life's going hard for you. Have you talked to God? Well, I believe in God, but you'll hear this a lot. I hear this a lot when there is a, um, when there's a family problem. Happens all the time, and I'm not looking at anybody, I'm not naming any names, but this happens in our culture a lot, where, where there'll be a family problem, and there'll be a major issue, and it's like, dad has to be tough guy, he has to be not in my house, and, and, and there's this moment where he's like, you know, I believe in God, but man, my stuff is my stuff, I believe in God, but don't cross me, I believe in God, but I'm sure not treating her like I do. I believe in God. See, here's what, I, here's what I'm starting to understand about believing in God. Believing that there is a God and thinking that's all that God wants from you is actually keeping us from the kind of life that God wants for you. You're better off doubting every now and then that there's an existence of God. But when you do get it and when you do understand and when you do feel knowing him and having a relationship, you're better off in that case. Man, am I going to get Facebook messages. But I'm telling you, this is what I'm starting to see in my life. Many of you have done this. This is what I want to hit today. I believe in God. But when it comes to my bills, I think I'm on my own. I believe in God. But when it comes to the hard things, when it comes to the worry, when it comes to the frustration, you make a list. You've already started making the list in your mind right now. When it comes to this, I worry as though I'm on my own. And I worry as though God isn't who he says he really is. See, I believe that there is a God, but do I believe that God is who he says he is? Do I believe, I, I believe in him, but do I believe him? That's what I want to talk about today. This is the next step, I think, for some of you. It is for me, too. I'm digging in on this on a daily basis. What does it mean for me to know God? What does it mean for me to these list of worries? In fact, I'd like for you to do this. If you're a note taker, um, or if, if you've got a pencil or a pen with you, just you're going to do this in your mind anyway, so you might as well do it on paper. While we're talking, write down the top two things you're worried about. And if you don't want to write it, that's fine. Just put it in your head right now. The top two things you're worried about right now in your life. I'll give you just a second. I can name mine at any moment. One, one of them has to do with money, always. You can, you, I can tell you that's in the top two. And it doesn't matter how much. I'll tell you what, when I was in college, I was worried about money, and if somebody would have told me, John, when you turn 40, you're going to have this much money, and you're going to have this much stuff, I would have gone, yes, no more worrying about money. (laughs) And here I am, 40, going, I'm more worried about money now than I was in college. Because it doesn't matter how much you have, something is wrong with us when it comes to our finances. And it's going to be one of those, be my guess, would be on your list. The word worry... This is, this is really cool to me. I, did, I don't usually do this whole look at the dictionary thing, but I did like to see where the word worry comes from because it's not in the Bible. This word worry is not really the English word. and The, the way we talk about it is not really in the Bible. In fact, what we're going to talk about today is sort of a different f- concept altogether. The word worry is an, is, it derives from a, a German word, wergen. <laughs> That's a cool word, wergen. Um, and it's this word that really literally means strangle. So the first person in English who used that word wergen to talk about worry would have felt strangled. You know, because that's what worry does. It strangles the joy out of your life. Strangles the moment. It constricts every moment that you have with the people that you love. It constricts you from being present. 
You're always thinking. Have you ever had this moment where you shouldn't be worried and you've got the kids and you've got somebody important sitting in front of you and somebody you know is more important than all your worries and you can't get in the moment? My kids are, I don't know if, if adults just see it and, and don't mention it or if adults don't feel like it's rude, but my kids will say to me, Dad, I'm right here, London. No, you're not. I don't want you to be here. I want you to be present. I want you to look at me. I want you to be where I, you know where I'm at? I'm at my top two on my worry list somewhere, I guarantee you. So I can be with my kids and completely be not present and be in my worry list because worry constricts you from being present and it chokes the life out of you. I knew I was preaching this today, so I was watching when, when, I, when you came in today. And I know some of you well enough that I can go, worry. Well, I don't know if she'll be present or not today. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know if she'll be able to talk or think or if she'll be able to hear from God or not. That's why we do this, the, the little 30, 45 second moment before. Because you need a moment to go, no, I am going to be present. I am not going to sit and think about something else. I am not going to worry about these things because that is how we are robbed of the joy that God intends for us. So I know you're doing it right now. You're doing it right now. So would you, just, in a, just for this moment, Just 15 seconds. I know we already did 30, but you need it again already. 15 seconds. Just say, God, no. I want to be present. Psalm chapter 4, verse 8. This guy named David, we we see him through his whole life. What if somebody told your story from like all the little details of all the things you ever did in your life, all the way through like adolescence, all the way through as an adult and your death. If they told every little, wouldn't that just be embarrassing? <laughs> so you look at the life of, of David, and um, this is one of my favorite characters in all the Bible. No matter what you believe about the Bible, David was a real character. He was a real human who lived on earth. He had this historical context around him, known all over the world, still talked about all over the world. Movies have been made about him. And, and the thing about David is he was so much more like you and me than we realize. If we stop to look at his life, his life was so much more like yours and mine than we realize. In fact, in a lot of ways, we think about uh, uh, David's time in, in history, and you think, well, how many worries can a guy have? You know, the truck's not breaking down. <laughs> you know, the gutters aren't leaking. You know, the, well, yeah, you, you just have to worry about somebody slipping into your tent in the middle of the night and slitting your throat and your family's throat for no apparent reason with no, no recourse at all. And this is the way David lived his life. And we get to see him grow up as a little kid. and We get to see a man who, sometimes you do this, you read a piece of the Bible and you think, I bet the guy who wrote that was almost perfect. And if you've ever studied the life of David, you know he's a whole lot more like you and me than you realize. He just made one mistake after another. In fact, he, as a leader, a spiritual leader, he had an affair with a woman he saw taking a bath out his window. And worse than that, he, he killed her husband to try to cover it up. And yeah, the Bible's the Bible's pretty interesting, those of you who haven't read it. And, and this is the man then, but the, the coolest thing about the story of David is that he keeps doing that stuff, and at the end of his story, at the end of his life, he, he says awesome things like we're about to read, and at the end of his, his thing, you think, boy, I bet God's really frustrated with this guy. And then God says this, David was a man after God's own heart. <laughs> like, God looked down at David, who was an absolute train wreck of a human at times, and said, that guy's like me. Gosh, and I think it had a whole lot more to do, when it comes to David, it had a whole lot more to do with how David knew God 
that anything that David said about God, anything that David did religiously, any little, little ceremony he created, it was about the relationship between he and God. That's why God could look at him and say, I know David, and he's like me. He says this, in peace, I'll lay down and sleep. Do you know how big a deal that is to a guy who most of the, free, uh, the, most of the world at that point is after to try to kill? I mean, yeah, I know the IRS may be coming after you. I know the electric company has been making phone calls. I know the car payments do, and they've been calling, telling you they're going to repossess. Nobody's probably coming after you with an army full of people ready to stone you at any moment. That's how David was living. And in the midst of this, he can say, I'll lie down and sleep in peace. For you alone, Lord, make me dwell in safety. Which is interesting because David, when we think about safety, this man was not safe. <laughs> and he had guards around him, but man, he was not safe. And we know there are all kinds of opportunities for David to die. When he talks about being safe, you've got to wake up for a second because I know it's getting a little old. But you need to hear this. When David talks about being safe, he is not talking about his physical, tangible, temporal body. He's not talking about the things of his earth being safe. He's talking about the depth of his soul, the deepest part of who he is being safe. And I know right now some of you go, well, I don't care about that. In the long run, let me promise you, yes, you do. And in the deepest part of who you are, that is where the peace comes that you're looking for. You can try to buy it with a big screen TV, and it lasts about a day until the kids throw something against it and it gets a little chip in the right-hand corner. You can try it with that girl that you've always wanted to date, but it doesn't last very long. The only kind that lasts, the only kind that satisfies that deep hole in your life is the one at the deepest part of who you are. And David found it. He uses, See how the word... The Lord is capitalized. You ever see that in your Bible? The whole word Lord is capitalized. And the reason for that is because it's a word that um, in, in the original language, the word is Yahweh. And you've heard that word before. It's a word that wasn't allowed to be spoken for many years. In fact, when David were to write this, there would have been a whole group of people around him that would have said, that is a sin. That is wrong for you to even write or utter the name Yahweh. People wouldn't even say the name of the Lord because they had so much reverence for it. So, in fact, in the Bible, when you see it, that's what you're seeing. You're seeing this name of God that people took so seriously that only, only people who really knew God could utter the name of the Lord. As, he, as David's life goes, things get really hard for him. It, 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 and this is a whole other sermon, but you've heard probably of David and Goliath and the slingshot and all those things. You've heard of tons of stories about David, but the ones that are the, the hardest to tell are the ones that left David um, pretty hard on the inside, left him pretty cold at times. In fact, at one point, David was going to uh, build a, a church building, a temple for God, and God said, no, you get too much blood on your hands. There's so much darkness in your life. In fact, God said, you're a man after mine on heart, but, but there's darkness in you. And he, he says this, and if, if you're dealing with something awful right now, a lot of you are, I know it, whether it's a physical thing, death, um, whether it's a relationship problems at home, whether it's finances, whatever it is today, I, I, want, you to, I want you to promise me something. And just, just between you and God, you don't have to promise this to me, just between you and God. Would you, when I read the scripture just for a second, would you try not to Disneyize this thing? Would you try not to make this religious? Would you try not to make it like you're reading something that doesn't pertain to you, something that was written 
thousands of years ago that might have worked for him, but doesn't you. Think about this in terms of your own life today. I'm going to read it, and I'm going to kind of pick it apart because I believe this has implications to change your world if you read it right, if you think about it right today. David says, I lift my eyes up to the mountains. We're going to talk about that in a little bit, what he meant by that. I lift my eyes up to the mountains, the problems. Where does my help come from? He looks up and he says, now he, he was physically looking at mountains and knowing that that's the scariest thing for a guy who everybody's trying to kill. If you're looking over a valley into a big field, you can see people coming, but if there are mountains, they can be anywhere and they can be on you like that. He says, well, I'm looking into the mountains, my problems. Your mountains are a little different. He says, I lift my eyes up and I see problems. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the capital Lord, the God, the God, Yahweh, the maker of heaven and earth, the one who's in charge. He will not let your foot slip. He who watches over you will not slumber. You know what I think of when I read that? My son has a, when he grew up with a little bit of a problem with sleeping in the dark, and just sleeping in general was hard for him. And he, he could only sleep if I watched him, if I stayed up. And I remember he would kind of, you know, if you could sleep with one eye open, he would. And he would kind of sleep, he would tr- try to keep one eye and make sure I was still there because I would sneak out as soon as he'd go to sleep, you know. And he knew that. And he would sleep and just finally his other, his other eye would go to, and just as I would start to move, he'd put his hand over to make sure I, he could feel me. And then once I felt his arm go limp, I would slowly move it off. And there, there were times where it was hard enough for him that I'd fall asleep. And that'd scare him. He'd wake up and dad would be asleep. You're supposed to be watching me. <laughs> right? But the truth is, I'm, I, I, I'm trying to be a, the kind of dad that God is, but what David says here is that, that this dad watches and doesn't sleep. He never takes a break. Some of you right now are going, hey, you know what? He's taking a break with me. My life is such a mess right now, and he seems to be taking a nap. David said, he's not. Just wait. It's funny. He says, he who watches over you will never slumber. And then he says again, indeed, he who watches over Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. Sounds like the same thing to us, right? Slumber and sleep. The word there is nap. (laughs) The word there is like he won't even take a nap. He won't even close his eyes for a moment. A little, my dad used to call it a 20-minuter. He won't even take a 20-minuter. He will be watching. The Lord, Yahweh, big L, big O, big R, big D, the big guy watches over you. The Lord is your shade at your right hand. The sun will not harm you by day nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all harm. He will watch over your life. The Lord will watch over your coming and going. This God, David's God, the big Yahweh, this God can be known and watches your life. I don't know what you're dealing with today. I want to dig into this a little bit to you. And if this is between you and God today, all right? So I'm going to do everything I can to pick this apart and give it to you the way God wants you to hear it today. But whatever you do with it, if you've got your worry list and it's going to be up there instead of listening today, that's between you and God. But if you could give this moment just to God today as I take you through this. Here's, here's how David talks about this. As we go through this, next slide there, Tanya. 
He says, I lift my eyes. This means to become aware. This is the original language. In the original language would have meant in, in your moment, whatever you're dealing with right now, you need perspective. And what he meant by I lift my eyes is that while you walked as a, as a warrior or, I mean, he walked everywhere he went, he would keep his eyes down. You've done this before. I see this happen on IU campus. I love it every fall. It's one of my favorite things when I'm stopping at a stoplight and you'll see kids um, that have just come on to, to campus, um, and they'll be checking their phone, and all of a sudden they'll run into something. It's one of my favorite things to watch ever. Uh, this, is, this is the picture that David has. You know, you're, you're walking along the road. Everything is in your own world. You're texting your boyfriend, and you're selfieing, and you're whatever. Everything's surrounded by you until all of a sudden you get hit in the face with a sign, and it's usually like one of those bus signs. It's one of the, my favorite things to see because all of a sudden a person goes, oh, there's something else in the world. I'm not the only thing in the world, right? So here's the message for you. Some of you are doing this. Don't get mad at me. This is between you and God. Some of you have your head down in your own mess so much that you forgot there's anything else. You forgot you're not the center of the universe. You forgot that everything doesn't revolve around you. And your head is down and you're checking your phone and it's all about you and it's oh my, oh my, oh my. David says, I'm lifting my eyes up. Whatever you have going on in your life right now, this is your first step. Become aware of what's going on around you. Don't make this all about you. Step up. Look up. What is this? What are my options in my life? This kind of perspective is a freedom that no one can ever take from you. No matter how bad your anxiety is, no matter how bad you struggle with worry, if you can get perspective for a moment, it is a freedom that God has granted you that some of us just aren't taking advantage of. David says it right off. I lift my eyes, I become aware. Next slide. He says, I lift my eyes to the mountains, to the, to the problems in my life. My mom is so good at this. She's a counselor in Bloomington. Many of you know her because I've sent you to her, um, and I'll keep doing it too. Um, she is really good at helping you find out where are my hills? What, what am I really looking at here? What, what, what am I magnetizing? What am I saying is too big? And how can I attack what, what the troubles are in my life. When David talks about his hills, he, he, talk, he means his circumstances, these problems, your worry list today. I, I don't know if, you, if you've got these things on your list today that have been there for a long time. For me, one of them has been finances. And I, I'll tell you, I'm kind of at the point in my life where now it's starting to slip down to the bottom of my list again, and then it back up again, you know? But I'm starting to learn what it means to let some of those things go. If you can today, start to look at those things, not as ways of life, because this is what we do. We look and go, well, that's just what I do. I worry about money. In fact, we even say, we even introduce ourselves to people. I'm a worrier. You know what? You don't have to be. You don't have to be. You have a choice. Next slide. As he keeps going, he says, where does my help come from? When I, when I go back to this corner, and I'll be back there today, um, you know, some churches have you come forward to the altar and do an altar call we we do everything backwards here um we have you go back um and we go back to that little corner so you're welcome to do that today and i pray with people right back there and when things get really bad and things get really hard the first thing out of somebody's mouth to me usually is where am i going to get help where, where am i going to get help and they come to me and let me tell you you ain't going to get it from me I think of myself as a help broker sometimes, and I can send you to my mom, I can get you some help, but I can tell you where they're going to send you ultimately. It's what David found out. That this help, the kind of help he's really looking for doesn't come 
from anyone else. It doesn't come from stuff. It comes from the maker of heaven and earth. Maker with a capital M. The one who created it to begin with. He says, my help comes from the Lord, the maker in heaven and earth. The big one. So what kind of help is he talking about? Look at this. He says, he, he, he won't let your foot stumble. He who watches over you will not slumber because he's the watcher. Now, when, when you grew up, when I grew up, some of you, if you had church in your background, some of you who had that really uber-religious church background, probably thought of God as a watcher, as a, as a policeman, you know, with a Glock ready. Go ahead. Go ahead. Go out with that girl. Go ahead. Look at that magazine. Right? So we thought of God as a watcher in that way. David talks about God as a different kind of watcher. As a, 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 a God who, who stands over your life watching because he loves, because he cares. Indeed, he watches over Israel. He will neither slumber nor sleep. He won't even take a nap. What would it be like in your life if you believed this? Some of you don't, and I understand. But just for a moment, take a break. And ask yourself, what would it be like if I, if I literally believed that the guy who created all of this, the God who created me and everything around, was watching, cared about my life on a deep level. I want to talk to you about what I think David meant by this today. See, the, the bad news about your life, um, and, and I've got good news, so stick with me here, but the bad news about your life is you're not in control. That shouldn't surprise you, but some of you live like that's a surprise, right? One of my favorite epiphanies of my entire life, I was flying all over the place. I was going crazy with work. I was too busy, and I was on an airplane, and um, the kid next to me in the seat had one of those pretend little uh, steering wheels, and he thought he was flying the plane. You know, and his mom would say, okay, here we go, and he'd pull back on a steering wheel, and I looked over and thought, well, that's just ridiculous. You know, it's just cute, but it's ridiculous. And I thought, this must be what God thinks about me looking over and seeing me with a pretend steering wheel like I'm in charge, like I'm the pilot. Might as well put a little pretend hat on me. You know, I, I'm not the pilot. You're not the pilot. So how silly would it be when the pilot says, hey, come and be with me. Come and know me. How silly would it be to go, no, 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 I'm just going to know about you. He says, no, 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 come and know me. The good news is the one who is in charge, the pilot, is watching. So here's, here's David's message in his, in his um, vernacular and in his language. His message is this, that everything temporal, you know what the word temporal is, the, the root of that is temporary. Everything that's in your life right now that is temporary is at risk. You say, well, thanks, John, that, that was helpful. That sure helps with the peace thing. Everything in your life that is temporal is at risk. You could lose it. But nothing eternal in your life has to be. Here's what I mean by that. Temporal stuff are things like this. Money, stuff, your job, your to-do list. So I have a to-do list in Evernote. Um, it's one of my favorite pieces of software. I have a to-do list in Evernote. I looked at it before I preached because I wanted to tell you this. I have nine categories, and as of this morning, I have 172 things on my to-do list. Yeah. And it's one of the, th it's just constant in my life. It's been going since I was a kid, and this list is, there are things that have never been checked off. 
There are things that I still have, have not done. And I just keep moving it from software to software to software. The truth is, everything on that list is temporal. Everything is at risk. And when David is praying to God and he says, I'm safe, he is not talking about his physical body. <laughs> he is not talking about his money or his stuff or his job or his to-do list. He's not talking about those things. He has come to know God in such a way that he can think about the things in his life in two categories. Those things that are at risk and those things that are eternal and that I can be solid in and I can be sure of. Things that are eternal are things like relationships faith so i'm about to end this sermon so just stay awake a little longer when you choose to be more concerned with the eternal than the the temporal it will change the way you deal with your worry list now i'm not stupid enough to think or religious and naive enough to think that you're going to walk out of here and go well you know what i just don't care about those things on my worry list anymore i'm just going to give it to god you can fill in the blank on the uh the the christianese sign that you can get at the christian bookstore you know give it to god give it away those all have every cat hanging from a tree whatever you want to do none of those things matter in our real life what matters is this this is test drive this try this out if you can focus on the things that are eternal instead of the things that are temporal. If you can put most of your energy, if you can energize your life, if you can take those things off of your worry list that are the temporary things, and in their place put the the eternal things, it will change the way you think about your worry list. It will. It has happened for me in my life over and over again. So one of the things that's been a constant struggle for me in my life is is my job. Since I was, so I, I got my first job when I was 15. I worked at Kentucky Fried Chicken. Um, still don't like to go by that place. Um, just smelling it makes me cold chill. But uh, I, it was my first job, and I've been working ever since. And I have this, like, work ethic, like, I'm going to work hard, and I'm going to work a lot. And it became, it went from this healthy, boy, John's got a good work ethic, into, boy, John is a mess and is going to have a nervous breakdown because John is addicted to work. And I became a workaholic, absolutely became a workaholic. And it, it was contributed to a broken marriage. My first marriage ended in divorce. It wasn't the only reason, but it contributed to it. And I became to a point in my life where I was so addicted to my job that it was, it was my worry list. Everything on my worry list had to do with my job. And I finally had to come to a point where I realized that this has to go. And I, I, I quit everything. It was the first time I didn't have a job in my entire life. I had six months with no job. It was the scariest thing. It's like I went, it's like an alcoholic going completely cold turkey. I just went cold turkey on work. And then it started feeling real good for a while. Um, but in that moment, I started understanding that my relationships were the things that God wanted me to be concerned with. And I, I began a relationship with my brother that I'd never had. Didn't start I feel like my relationship with my brother didn't start until I was in my 20s. After I had realized that what God wants me to do is, con- is be concerned with these things that last forever, these things that are inside us that aren't temporary. Those are the things that change who we are. Jesus, when he stood on this mountain, over and over again, he would stand with these same religious people. Band, you guys can come up. He'd stand with these religious people and and. And they would ask him about anxieties, and they would ask him about worries, and they would ask him about priorities, and what's the most important thing? And finally, a bunch of religious leaders were trying to trap him, and they said, Jesus, what is the most important thing? And all the rules and all the laws, what's the most important thing? And they really wanted to get him in a corner. 
And Jesus said, oh, that's an easy one. It boils down to two things. Love God and love people. Oh, but what, but what about, you know, the Ten Commandments? They were like engraved in stone, literally, right? And Jesus were, was to start to say to them, all right, so don't murder. If you love God and you love people, you're going to have to obey that one? It'll be pretty easy. Oh, do not steal. That's, it changes your priorities when you get the first two right. Those of you who are dealing with anxiety, those of you who are far from God right now because of the frustrations and the anxieties of life, this is your moment today to look back to God and to say, I'm putting you first. I want to know you. Your help doesn't come from you. Everything that is temporal today is at risk, but you can be sure of the eternal things. I'm going to stop talking, but... When I preached this sermon about 10 years ago, I was in a different church, and there's a lady that I knew from the very beginning of my ministry there, and she was in her 80s. And she would come up to me after church, she would say the same thing to me after church every week. I've been a Christian longer than you've been alive, longer than your parents have been alive, she would say that to me. Like somehow this was a pride thing for her, that I've been going to church, that's what she meant. I've been sitting in this pew since before you, and I know, Lois, you've been sitting in this pew, and I would say it every Sunday. And one Sunday, I preached this sermon, the temporal versus the eternal. And afterwards, she came up to me, and she says, I want to give my life to Jesus. (laughs) I turned around and I said, Lois, you've been sitting in that pew. And she said, I know, I never, I never did it. And I didn't realize till today. I didn't realize 80 years I've been sitting in a pew doing a religious thing. 80 years I've been sitting in the pew putting things above knowing God. Today, I realized I, I need to know God. And we baptized her at 80 years old. She had been baptized when she was nine. Didn't remember it, couldn't had no decision in it we baptized her um it was one of the hardest things i've ever done took three of us and we had to be very careful because she was very fragile and i'll never forget the day that somebody who had been following god for 80 years decided to know god instead of know about him it's your chance today you want the peace that passes all understanding it comes from knowing god doesn't happen in this orange pew it happens every every day when you walk with him I'm going to give you a chance today. I'm going back to that room. I'll be glad to pray with you today. But this is between you and God. And all you have to say to him is this, God, I want to know you. Would you do that? You can stand with us and sing this morning.